Good morning. I'm uh, Curtis McCullough. I'm the student pastor here. And that was very exciting to get to share with you guys. Camp is always a special place for us, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a great spot where our students get to disconnect from everything around them, especially because there's no service at the camp, so it's kind of hard to try and connect anyways. Uh, but it lets them do something special, which is connect with some unique people that normally they wouldn't get to see. And then what happens is they come during summer camp, they meet all these people from like around the tri-state area, and then they come back for the fall retreat, and they get to see those same friends. They come back next year for next year's summer camp, and they see these same people. And you get to slowly check in and kind of grow your community and your connections with other like-minded people, but it also lets them uh, get out of their comfort zone a bit and just be themselves and who they are and have a fun time, and it's always really, really fun. So I'm very glad that we got to share just a snippet of what camp looks like. Uh, as cool as that video was, camp is like a thousand times cooler um, and much more special than what we can show you in a video. Um, but I have the absolute pleasure today of introducing you guys to our new series. We're going to be working through a book called Judges which is super exciting. There's a lot of really fun stuff in here, if you don't know, and if this is your first time getting to hear some of these stories in this book, I am so happy I get to be the one to share it with you. Uh, but this is a, a, a big kind of task, right? Because the book of Judges isn't exactly for the faint of heart. This is a brutal book. There's some violent stuff in here. There's some crazy stories, lots of stuff that we need to work through. Uh, but it's a book that is about a group of people called judges. Uh, and these were people who had a specific job to do where they would go and they'd rescue or lead God's people to something greater, as we'll read here in a little bit. Um, and I, as we're reading through some of this, I want you to kind of like overcome some of the uh, incredibleness of the stories, like this is actually in the Bible, uh, and I want us to search for there is a lesson here amidst all of that craziness and all of that wildness that we're going to see. But before we do that, before we dive in to this, I want to know, has anyone ever ruined something that you care about? Has anybody ever ruined something that you care about? Back in the day, my brother and I had these ancient gaming devices called Game Boy Colors. We, we, uh, we started off playing on the SNES, and then we upgraded to the N64, and then we upgraded to sharing just a, a Game Boy together. But eventually, when the Game Boy Color came out, we each got our own Game Boy Color to play on ourselves. Uh, mine was lime green, which is obviously the best color. Uh, and I remember that when we were given these Game Boys, we were each given a game to go with it. That kind of makes sense, right? Uh, and my brother was given a game that was new at the time, a very exciting game to get into, called Pokemon. I know, yeah. Uh, and he specifically got, if you don't know about Pokemon, when they release 
uh, versions of this game. They release two versions at a time. So there's Pokemon at this time, Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue were released. And my brother, he got Pokemon Red. Red was his favorite color, so it seemed like a natural choice for my parents. And you would expect, uh, being the brother, that I would get the other one, right? Uh, that they would have gotten me this other version of the Pokemon game. But you would be wrong. Um, they did not get me this other version of the Pokemon game. And in their, in their defense, I was three years younger than my brother, and I wasn't even in elementary school. So they got me an age-appropriate game, which was The Adventures of Elmo in Grouchland. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I don't really remember being upset by this. Uh, I am sure that I enjoyed the game uh, and that I was probably just happy to like have my own little console and be able to do something fun with it. But my brother really got to, during this time, dive into this Pokemon game. And if you don't know anything about Pokemon, the goal of the game is you explore this world and as you explore the world, you find these little creatures called Pokemon, and you try to collect them all. Uh, you train them up to be, like, really cool, and then you battle other Pokemon trainers, and you try to be the best, right? Uh, and inside of the game, there are 150 different Pokemon in this game, in this first game. There were 150 different Pokemon that you could catch, which is, a, that's a lot. Uh, and some of them were harder to catch than others, and my brother, made it his goal to catch all of these Pokemon, to try and collect them all. Um, and it, he really got into the series, not just the game, but uh, there was a TV show that came out around the same time and a trading card game launched around the same time as well. My brother got into all of that. Uh, and so he would go to all of these local gaming convention stuff where they'd host events. There would be tournaments where these kids are just playing on their Game Boy Colors, battling out, doing a tournament kind of thing. Uh, they would trade Pokemon cards and do battles with that and everything. And it was a lot of, a lot of fun for him. Um, and he got to enjoy all of that while I was still trying to help Elmo figure out how to count to five which was fine, um, and I'm sure that I was doing great at that. Um, but over time, as people began to like enjoy this Pokemon series and the game and everything like that, it started to come out that there was a secret 151st Pokemon that you could get in this game, and there was not a way for you to get it in the actual game. The only way that you could get this super secret Pokemon, which was named Mew, uh, like the cat noise. Uh, the only way you could get this super secret legendary Pokemon was by going to one of these events. And at these events, Nintendo employees would be there, and they would actually trade you the Pokemon while you were there at the event. Uh, and this was before online gaming was a thing, so if you were ever trying to like trade or battle other people or interact with them at all, what you had to do is you, you had to have your Game Boy Color, somebody else had theirs, and then you would connect them with a cable, and then it would send over the cable kind of thing. Uh, and so the only way that you could get this Pokemon is by showing up to one of these events and having a Nintendo employee actually trade you this Pokemon. And over time, my brother went to a ton of events trying to, like, get that reward, and eventually he got it, which was really, really cool for him. He continued to spend time trying to beat the Pokemon game and become the best trainer he could be. He continued to do other tournaments and things like that. But then, a couple of months go by, 
a, a year goes by. And if you're familiar with the gaming community at all, games are always coming out. And so a year goes by, there's probably some new game that my brother is focused on, or he's focused on school or something like that. And I notice that my brother isn't playing Pokemon as much, right? And I've beat Adventure of Elmo and Grouchland a long time ago. It's not that complex of a game. Uh, and I was looking for a new game to experience. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'll try out Pokemon. My brother seemed to really like it. I'm sure that I'll enjoy it too. And so I take his cartridge, I plug it into my, my Game Boy Color, and I boot it up. And as I, was, as I was doing this, I was like, you know, I'm going to be considerate, and I'm not going to play on his save file, because I don't want to mess things up, right? Um, and if you don't know the context, um, video games at this time very commonly had uh, a system where you would be able to have three save files. So if you ever played like a Zelda game or a Mario game or anything like that, all these old school games would let you have three save files. But what Pokemon didn't tell you was that you could only have one save file. And so I, I load up this Pokemon game and I start messing around with it. And when I save the game, it overwrote my brother's save file. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. In 30 minutes of time, I threw away a year's worth of time that my brother had been pouring into this game. I got rid of uh, all the effort and memories that he spent in all of these tournaments and things like that, uh, all the Pokemon that he, could, he had collected, his progress in the story was all gone, and most heartbreakingly, the legendary Mew that he got traded uh, at this event that no longer happens because now Nintendo's pushing their next Pokemon game. They're not doing these events anymore, so the time to get that Pokemon has passed. That's all gone. And it really, it, I, I remember like how bad I felt, uh, and I definitely am sure that I likely got beat up for that, rightfully so. Um, but it really hurts when people ruin the things that we care about. Right, And I'm sure that you have something that you can think of that somebody has ruined for you. Maybe it's a childhood toy or a car that you really cared about that either got broken down or totaled or something like that. Or maybe it's a phone or computer that your dog lovingly knocked off the table and broke into bits, which has also happened to me. Love the dogs, of course. Um, but this heartbreak that ruin, this is where Judges starts off. This is our launch point, is that, that kind of idea. So I want you to carry with that, carry that with us as we, as we go forward. Joshua starts, sorry, Judges starts with the death of a man named Joshua. He was a prominent figure that led God's people to the promised land and encouraged them to continue to follow God's commandments. After Joshua's death, though, God's people went to war with a group of people called the Canaanites. And as this battle was going on, God challenged his people to, after this war, to break down the altars and idols of the people of the Canaanites, because he didn't want them to be tempted away from him, from these other, other gods. And shocker, uh, God's people didn't do that. They, they let the Canaanites keep their altars and keep their idols, um, and they never forced them to break, break them down. In response to this, God sent an angel 
to his people. Uh, And we're going to read what that angel says here in Judges 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gigal to Bohem, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bohem, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Here, the angel is telling uh, God's people that because they didn't do this thing, right, these Canaanites are going to become thorns in their sides, that the Canaanites' gods are going to become snares to them. It'll, it'll grab them and start to pull them away from God and their understanding of who he is. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound ideal, right? Um, and, and God's people knew this because they immediately started weeping and sacrificing and trying to get back on God's good side. And as we move forward through this book, you guys are going to see that things don't really get better. Um, and spoiler for the whole book, it's only going to like continue to kind of slide down the hill from here. Um, but this next part in Judges is going to recap kind of the whole whole thing that's going to happen in Judges for us. It's going to give us some foreshadowing. Um, so in Judges 2, 11 through 23, it says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, their other gods. Uh, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroth, again, other gods. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hands of their enemies for all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But wherever the judge, whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. 
They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because these people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before any of them the nations that Joshua left when he died. In order to test Israel by them, whether they would take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Here we get to see that God's people are stuck in this book. They are stuck in a deadly cycle. They would abandon God and his teachings. They would go and worship other gods like Baal. Uh, and then while they abandoned God, their lands would fall into ruin. These other kingdoms would come in, take over, start oppressing them. All of these bad things would start happening. And then the, his people would start complaining. They'd be like, this is awful. Please help us, God. And in response, God would send a judge. Now, the judges in this book aren't anything like the judges that we think of today. Uh, the judge, the word Hebrew word for judge in this book is shafat, which doesn't just mean that concept of judge. It also means something like a, like a rescuer. These were people uh, who weren't just there to go and settle like court cases and disputes and things like that. These were warriors who were sent to go and save God's people from whatever mess that they were in and then take them and lead them into something new and would hopefully challenge them to start following a better life, to come back to God's way uh, and start to care for, for God and for each other like God had commanded their fathers. And unfortunately, we are shown that in this cycle, God's people don't listen to those judges right? They, uh, the judge saves them. They might have a time of peace, but then right after that, they go back to what they were doing before. And, and that verse, that section of uh, Judges 2 that we read doesn't just say that they go and start doing bad things again. It says that they do worse things than their fathers. So with every generation, this cycle only got worse because the cycle wasn't just a cycle. Do you remember in malls back in the day when one, malls existed, uh, but two, when you could go in and there would be that big like coin donation thing and you'd drop a coin in the top of the track and then it'd run down this like cone thing. Do you re remember that? I remember that. Uh, that's what this was like. It's not a cycle, but a spiral. Because each time that God's people would go through this cycle where they'd go from following God to not following God to being oppressed to needing saved to following God. Each repetition of that, they would drop further and further from God to the point that like, their understanding of who this guy was is just vastly different than their father's, which led them to do worse and worse things. Now, we're going to look at one of the early renditions of this cycle. Uh, this is the story of the second 
named Judge in the book of Judges, uh, and he is my favorite judge, as you will find out why here in a little bit. Um, the verses for this section are going to be on the screen, but I'm going to be paraphrasing this story, so just try to kind of follow along with some stuff. So we kick off this section of Judges with God's people yet again doing awful things, going away from God, worshiping other gods, um, not being good to each other, not showing love to God and to, to the people around them. And in response... This man named Aglon, that's a great villain name, I think. This man named Aglon uh, becomes a, he, a great power, and he raises up this huge army, and he takes it against God's people and ends up destroying everything. He takes over their cities. He starts to oppress them, and it says that God's people were oppressed for 18 years under this king. Eglon. And after these 18 years, God's people finally had enough of this, and so they started to like complain, and they're like, God, please, please help us. We can't take this anymore. And so God brings a judge, and this judge's name is Ehud. And it says there's something very special about Ehud that I appreciate. Ehud is left-handed. I don't know if any of you are left-handed, but represent where we can, right? There's like three of us, you know? So um, if you don't know, being left-handed, even today, is a struggle. We live in a right-handed world, all right? Scissors, journals, books, even the way that we have to write our language from left to right, I have to drag my hand over everything that I write. So like I'm always getting ink and, and lead on my hands from, from that. It, it's, uh, it's not great. But as annoying as it is sometimes to be left-handed in our current world, it was much worse uh, previously. And I'm sure you've heard plenty of stories about why it was so hard for left-handed people in their day and age. Uh, but it could have ranged culture to culture from uh, they might think that you're like devil spawn because you don't act like everybody else around you. They may have thought uh, that you were disabled because you can't do things as well as all of these right-handed people can the way that they're trying to teach you how to do them. Uh, and in some cases, they would either force you to become right-handed or maybe they'd toss you off a cliff before you got to grow up, kind of like lots of crazy, crazy things. And so for you to grow up as left-handed in this day and age and in the judge's day and age, it was hard. So Ehud had a tough life, and for God to, one, choose somebody who is in a vast mi minority, I mean, there were like three of you that raised your hands when I said left-handed people. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty big, small group of people, right? Um, and for him to be a minority, for him to be viewed probably as disabled or as evil or as something like that, for God to use somebody like that, that was so, like, against the common view of what things should look like, that's already huge. But there's something special about why Ehud was left-handed that we will get to see here in the story shortly. And so uh, what God's people do is they, they meet Ehud, they find out he's this judge, and they say, we're going to give a tribute to the king. We're going to give a tribute to Eglon. And so they put together this tribute, 
and they give it to Ehud, and they tell him to take this tribute and, and give it to the king. And Ehud prepares a sword. He makes it double-edged. Uh, I'm sure it looked really cool. But what's unique is that he puts it on his right thigh. And that's special because uh, if you're a right-handed person and you're trying to draw a sword from your right leg, that's uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that, uh, but it's not comfy. So what you would do if you were right-handed is your sword would go on your left leg so that you could more easily draw it, right? Uh, and what's unique about this is when people would check for, like, they'd give you the pat-down or whatever, they would check the left leg because that's the leg everybody would carry a weapon on because nobody's right-handed, or sorry, nobody's left-handed because you're, you're evil if you're left-handed, right? And so Ehud is able to conceal this sword on the thigh that doesn't get checked because of his handedness. And he goes up to Eglon's uh, castle, whatever it looks like, his big uh, place, and he tells the people, hey, I've got a tribute for King Eglon. And so they bring him up to the cool room where Eglon's at. Uh, and the cool room is uh, pretty, like, cool. It's in the name. Not, not like vibe cool, but like chilly, right? It's the place you would go if it's a hot summer day and you don't want to be sweating all of the time. Uh, and there's something else special about the cool room that we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. But what I think is very funny here is that they make sure to point out to us that Eglon is very fat. They make it a point to, to, to write this down, and you're, you're going to see why here in a second. Uh, but Ehud brings this tribute to King Eglon, and they go through all the normal business kind of stuff, and then Eglon starts to send the servants off with the tribute and is about to send Ehud off when Ehud tells Eglon, King, I've got a secret message for you. And Eglon's like, oh, that's juicy. All right, servants, get out so that I can hear this secret message. Because what if this guy's going to tell me like that servant wants to stab me in the back or something like that? And so all these servants, they leave, and it's just Ehud and Eglon in this cool room. And Ehud walks up to Eglon, and he's like, I have a message of God for you. That's important, Right? So Eglon's like, oh, I'm going to get some, some great information here. Uh, he's like, come tell me this. And Ehud goes up to Eglon as he's standing, and he stabs him in the stomach. And what's disgusting is that it says that the entire sword disappears in Eglon's stomach because he was that fat. This entire sword goes into Eglon's stomach to the point where it's gone, it's disappeared. And then they don't stop there with the gross details. They go ahead and tell us that Eglon pooped himself right after this. Why are these details in there? I don't know, uh, but it's there. And Ehud kills Eglon. He assassinates him in the cool room. And Ehud's a smart guy. And so he leaves the cool room and he locks the door. And then he leaves the palace all nonchalant-like, like nothing just happened. And then the servants come back to check on Eglon. And what's unique about the cool room is that inside the cool room would be a closet where you could go and use the restroom, because who wants to use the restroom while you're sweaty, right? Uh, and so the servants come back to this room, and they see that the door is locked, and they're like, ah, Eglon's just 
finishing business, you know. It's fine. We'll, we'll give them a minute. And so they sit there, and then they sit there, and it says they sit there for long enough until it becomes, like, uncomfortable. And they're like, hey, boss, are you okay? And so they grab the key, and they unlock this door, and they go into the cool room, and they see Aglon dead. But that was enough time for Ehud to escape. He goes all the way back to his people, and he's like, hey, we got the head honcho. We can take this place. And so they raise up this army. They go back, and then they do end up taking back their kingdom. And it says that they live in peace for a whole 80 years. That is awesome. But remember the cycle that we're in. Next week, you guys are going to see that this cycle continues to repeat. But I want us to focus on something here. That was a brutal story with lots of gruesome details that feel unnecessary. They could have just said Ehud went and assassinated the king. Why does, why does there have to be such gross violence inside of this? What's with all the destruction? Those are great, great questions that I want us to be asking. The point behind Judges is a sad one. This book is a tragedy. It's like Romeo and Juliet or Anakin Skywalker. It is meant to be sad. You're supposed to not be happy with what's going on. You're supposed to be saying, hey, God's people, stop making stupid decisions. The problem that we find in Judges is that God is trying to use people to fix people. And what's up with people? They're people, right? But that's the, that's the thing, is that that's how we get fixed. Is through, have you ever wondered why God sent Jesus? Why he didn't just like snap his fingers and make things better? He used a person to help restore things. Because that's a big part of this whole journey is us helping one another out and figuring this out as God's people, making those decisions ourselves. And it's not just that, um, that all of these judges are going to come in and save the day and things like that, but these people that God were, was using for the judges to be judges, these are the same broken people who grew up in this broken cycle of a world. So it's not like he's picking awesome, great people to go and save the world. He has a pool of broken people to pick from that already misunderstand who he is, that are every generation falling further and further away from him. So of course there is going to be violence and destruction because that's that's where they're at in this cycle. As we continue through Judges over the next couple of weeks, we want you to focus on this, this verse that's going to come back up over and over. It's a proverb. Uh, it's Proverbs 14, 12. And this proverb says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You see, Judges is an illustration of what life looks like when we decide to stray away from God, when we follow that way that seems right to man. And it's really tempting to look at the stories of judges and be like, this is a really cool action story. Or like, hey, that judge was really cool. He was left-handed. Represent. 
it's really easy for us to look at these judges and find role models or want to find role models. But that's not what we're supposed to be finding here. I think that we're meant to feel uncomfortable as we read this book. We're supposed to be unhappy with the decisions that God's people are making in this story. This book isn't meant to, like, say, here's how you do life. This book is meant to be a warning. This is supposed to show us this is what happens. This is, this is what it looks like when you follow that way that seems right to man generation after generation after generation as you slowly drift further and further away from God. And as we work through this series, that's what I want us to think about is that cycle, that, that way that seems good to man. Is that what we are following? Are you following that right now? Are you stuck in one of those cycles, one of those spirals? If so, what do you need to change? What, what thing needs to shift in our lives to start to pull us back up the spiral instead of pushing us back down it? That's what we want you to focus on throughout this series. Am I following the way that seems right to a man? If so, start looking for other ways so that we can avoid this spiral that the people and judges locked themselves into. I'm going to pray, and then the worship team's going to come back up for some recap. Cool. God, thank you for today and for who you are and for crazy books like the book of Judges. I pray that as we go through this book, we wouldn't find a how-to manual but that we would find a warning of what it looks like when we decide to follow our own way. I pray that all of us would be able to see what we're stuck in and that we would be able to find a path back to you, that we would be able to, to see what it looks like to follow you uh, and that you would be able to save us from, from that that spiral. And we thank you that, that you sent us someone like your son so that we could see a different way, so that we could find a way out of that spiral. I pray for all of us this week as we wrestle with that and for the rest of the month as we try and tackle this topic. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.